We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 1 through 8 this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Remember also your Creator before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. This is the word of the Lord. God, we come before you this morning to remember our Creator not because we have forgotten you, but because we want to put our minds to you, set our sights upon the Lord so that we might walk rightly before you and so that we might glorify you. God, whatever, whatever might be distracting our thoughts this morning, would you help us by your Spirit to put those things aside so that we might set our minds on you so that we might be strengthened, so that we might be encouraged, so that we might be given what we needed, what we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor John Piper one time recalled the story of a man who was converted under his father's ministry, this man came to know the Lord Jesus Christ at a much later age in his life. And while that was sweet and encouraging, later on he was found to be lamenting. And he kept repeating to himself, I've wasted it, I've wasted it, I've wasted it. Having come to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and having then apprehended the infinite worth of Jesus Christ, he's realized that he's given many years, even decades of his life, to pursuing things that were not worthy of pursuing, things of the world. He's come to the realization that he's wasted so many precious years of his life. So we've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. We now come to, to the very end, to the concluding chapter and this is verses 1 through 8. Verses 9 through 14 
the very end, it's more like the, the summation, sort of the, the conclusion that you find at the end of books. You have all the chapters, and at the very end, you have the concluding chapter, the chapter that some people actually don't read, which I think you should. But the conclusion is helpful because it summarizes what the book was about, condenses everything in the conclusion, gives you sort of the, the nuggets of the book. Sometimes it actually is helpful for us to read the conclusion and then go back and read the rest of the, read the, rest of the book. Because then we know exactly what the author is trying to get at, what is a, the main points. We can keep those things in mind as we read through the rest of the book. And certainly that serves as well when you go through a book like Ecclesiastes. Because you can't understand fully or comprehend as well as you can and should the rest of the book without first knowing the conclusion where he says the end of the matter is to fear God and keep his commandments. That has to be Sort of the main idea is to say, the main idea of the book that we keep, that we have intended, hopefully, to, or at least I've tried to keep in mind from the very beginning as we've been walking through this book. Think for a moment what if you could talk to your older self when you're at the last moment of your life, the last season of your life? What do you think that person would say? What would your older self say to your younger self? Or think, what would you want your older self to say to your younger self? The book of Ecclesiastes describes to us life itself, the different stages of life, because it's concerned with our life. It's concerned with how we live our life. It wants us to live the good life. It's concerned, it's concerned for our joy. How do you find joy in the good life? And so he, the author, fasts forwards to this very last stage of one's life. And he leaves us with one final imperative. But before we get to that imperative, he first describes to us the days of darkened light. He says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come. Now these days are not evil because they consist of wickedness. It's not because they're full of sin. But he says that they are evil because, in his mind, they are tragic. Because they are the final moments of one's life. When a person might no longer find pleasure in that last season of one's life. The days of one's youth are long gone, they're past. And he goes on to describe exactly why these days he considers to be evil. Now we'll tell you in the very beginning to remember that this comes at a point in salvation history where he does not have the hope of the resurrection. So he goes on to describe what this, these days are like. He says that these days, in these days, the light of life is darkened. It's the sun, the light, the moon, the stars, they all begin to darken. It's like, think of it this way, it's like a dimmer switch. 
We're in the very bottom, right? It's dark. There's no light on. But as you continue, but then as you bring the dimmer switch up, gradually, slowly, the light begins to brighten. When you get all the way to the top, you could say it represents the prime of one's youth. But you can't go above that. All you can do then is just go down. And the more you bring the dimmer switch down, down, and down, the dimmer, the light gets. In this season in one's life that he describes here, there's no physical strength. The back that was once proud and erect is now hunched and crouched over. There's no physical strength to protect, to work at the grind mill. Looking out through the windows, things are dimmed, speaks of the one person's eyes. The eyesight is failing. The eyesight that one saw in 2020 is now needs the assistance, perhaps, of glasses to be able to see well and correctly. The scribes says that the daughters of song are brought low. The doors on the street are shut. It almost, it's like things are much more silent. And it's not that things outside have stopped. There's still people out there, still people chattering about, going about in their day-to-day. But it's that things appear to be more silent because one's ears don't no longer work as well as they used to. Even though this person is weaker, there's a sense of restlessness. They can still, they're still awakened even by the smallest sound in the night. And with this physical deterioration that comes from aging, there's a fear of what is outside, a fear of going out, a fear of the elements, a fear of being exposed to injury, a fear of being exposed to some kind of illness. It says, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails. When almond trees blossom, they grow these beautiful white flowers. It's kind of saying that this person, they, the gray or white hairs have, have set in. The grasshopper drags itself along, no longer is it hopping about, no longer is this person walking with the energy and the vitality that comes with one's youth, but it's walking slowly, it's walking slowly hunched over. Desire fails, it says. The original Hebrew actually says that the caper berry is ineffective. Caper berry was used as a, to stimulate one's appetite or as an aphrodisiac. But now it's no longer effective. It doesn't work anymore. The flames of passion, energy, vitality, and the strength that comes with youth is no longer blazing. And so this describes, this describes a stage of life that is a reality for some, where there's a loss of desire, of meaning, of purpose, any, in, there's a loss of any inclination to do anything. And really, this could be 
doesn't give us an age. and It's assumed that this is person perhaps maybe in their 90s, maybe a little earlier than that, but it really could be anybody at any age. It could be even earlier. That could be 60. It could be 70. It could be 80. Or it could just take one freak accident to immediately fast forward your life where this grim reality that Ecclesiastes paints for us actually becomes your reality. Remember King David. King David was a man who was described as a man after the heart of God. Did a lot of things for the glory of God. And yet in his old age, it tells us that at the concluding stage of his life, he couldn't even keep himself warm. He was, he was freezing all the time. So they had to hire a young, beautiful woman to come and to tend to him and to keep him warm. And it could be done because, I mean, there's no fear that he would do anything inappropriate because at, this, at his stage in life, nothing works like it used to. But even he died in his early 70s. But then you have someone like, say, in our day, like someone like John MacArthur, who is like in his early 80s, who's still preaching every single week, who's still sharp as ever, still writing. And the point is, is that there are some people who might have more vitality and strength than others when they are at an older age, and there are some, there are others who when they find themselves at those later stages in life, there's a loss of strength and vitality, and it's even just difficult to get out of bed. So he says, remember also you're created in the days of your youth. Verse 6, before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. One of the common Christian human experiences is this feeling of forgottenness. When we go through trials, when we go through suffering, or even for somebody who is a Christian and finds themselves in this particular stage in life, or even just perhaps you are a person who watches a loved one being in this kind of stage in life, whether it's because of age or because of something else, it is common for you and I to ask why, or to ask God, have you forgotten me? God, have you forgotten my loved one? Do you not see? Do you not hear? And it's, we see this in the Psalms, right? King David often felt this feeling of forgottenness, as if the Lord had forgotten him. But he also knew that that wasn't reality. In Job 37, 16 it tells us, do you know the balancings of the clouds, the wondrous works of him that is God who is perfect in knowledge? The one who is perfect in knowledge is one who will never forget, who cannot forget. If God could forget, then he would not be perfect in knowledge. 
Psalm 33, verse 13 says, The Lord looks down from heaven and he sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Tells us that God sees all that we do and he sees us at all times. So it is impossible for God to forget his people because he's always vigilantly watching his people. So if you find yourself in this particular stage in life, or if you want to adequately prepare in case, because this could be your reality. This could be my reality. I don't want it. It's not, you should not be ashamed to read a passage like this and say, I do not want that. But should you ever find yourself at that stage of life, what do you do? How can we encourage ourselves? The thing to remember is that if God has been the Lord of your life and your youth, then you can be encouraged to know that he will be your friend in old age as well. Remember that God doesn't change his mind about his people just because they come to a stage in life when they cannot do as much as they would have liked to do or because they no longer have sort of the energy or the desire to do more. For God's people, God will never ever discard you as as that like you are a broken, irreparable instrument. But you will always be an instrument in the hands of God. Even if such days like these, last days or weeks or months or years, the promise and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God will never ever leave his people. That even if we should find ourselves in this kind of stage in life, God is never going to discard you. Isaiah 49, verse 14 says this, The Zion, or the people of God, said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And God responds and says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. For as long as you live, even if you come to a stage in life where you are physically unable to do anything at all, just know that the very breath that you breathe gives glory to God. Why is that? Because you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that you are no longer your own, but you've been purchased by Christ. That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God is a seal of your salvation. Just because you get to an eight, a later stage in life, just because you get to live 90 or 100 years old and you're not able to do as much as you were able to do in your youth, 
or just because you find yourself in a season of life where you are physically unable to do anything or you have the desire or no desire to do anything because perhaps you might struggle with severe depression, which is a reality for some Christians. Spurgeon, for example, struggled with ongoing depression in his life, oftentimes woke up not wanting to do anything at all. Even then, you still remain a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is not just going to simply leave you just because you're no longer able to do what you were once able to do. The hope of the gospel that we have is that the small dying embers in the fireplace of your life, though they're not blazing as much as we would like, hope of the gospel is that when that flame dies out, it will only become ablaze again with an unextinguishable flame that will burn brightly in the paradise of Jesus Christ. And we tend to define purpose and meaning by what we do. Whether it's achieving something or doing something, whether it's doing something for others. But purpose and meaning isn't just about doing. Purpose and meaning is also just about living. So whether in every moment, whether waking or sleeping, if you are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, your life has purpose because every single breath that you take is to the glory of God. So we spent a considerable amount of time thinking about the last moments of one's life. However, the concluding section of Ecclesiastes here is more concerned with those who are in the prime of their youth. That's the target audience here. And his main imperative is remember. Remember, remember, remember. Youth comes with strength, with vitality, with energy. It comes with a kind of ambition for some. It comes with a desire to try new things. You can take sort of more risks at the same time. And yet one of the great enemies of youth is youth itself. Because with youth oftentimes comes arrogance and pride. Not only that, but you also, and me as well, we also don't have the life experience of somebody who has lived 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. So therefore, we're more prone to make mistakes. And with Ecclesiastes being so concerned with our life, and God being so concerned with our life, and God wants us to live the good life. And so what is this good life? What does it consist of? And that is living it to the glory of of God, and so it's concerned for us in our youth to not use it unwisely, to use it well. Because as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, Ecclesiastes, the author of Ecclesiastes, also speaks to us as a concerned father whose desire is not only that we live in the fear of the Lord, but to avoid mistakes that are avoidable. 
speaks to us as a concerned father. He says to remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember the Lord. He's not talking about here setting a sort of daily reminder. You've got to get on your phone and set an hourly reminder. Think about the Lord. Remember the Lord. It's not what he's talking about here. I mean, do you have to set an hourly reminder to remind you that you're married? Do you have to set an hourly reminder to remind you that you're a parent? Do you have to set an hourly reminder to remind you that you're a Christian? Hopefully not. Because being a Christian is your life. Because being a parent is, becomes part of your identity. It's part of who you are. Being a spouse is part of who you are when you're married. So what does we mean by remember? Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. How do we understand this command or this imperative to remember the Lord? Especially considering that we are finite and we have a tendency to forget. And God has no tendency to forget because he is perfect in knowledge. To help us understand what this means, we will look at several passages where it talks about God remembering. In Genesis 8, after God flitted the entire world and the ark, it set above the waters for 40 days and 40 nights. In Genesis 8, 1, it says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. It says that God remembered Noah. It's not that God created the flood, left the ark there, and just went to do something else, and immediately remembers, oh my gosh, I forgot about Noah. What we see here is what's known as anthropomorphic language, which is using human characteristics and applying them to God to help us to understand what God is doing or who God is. So it's like when it tells us that, uh, when it talks to us in the scriptures about the arm of the Lord, when a passage we read earlier that your name is engraved in the palms of God's hands, it's not that God has physical hands or a physical arm because the Bible also tells us that God is spirit. But it's using, it's applying human characteristics to the person of God to help us to understand what God is doing or how God cares for his people. Exodus 2.23, during those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Genesis 19.29, so it was, this is after, this is, in response to God destroying the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. The thing to pay attention to in passages like these is that whenever it tells us that God remembered something, it always followed by some kind of action. God remembered, and so he made the water subside. God remembered, and so he brought about the exodus. God remembered... So he then rescued Lot from being destroyed along with the cities. Number 1537, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember 
and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So these tassels were intended to be a perpetual reminder of the commandments of the Lord, but it's also inherently intended to be a perpetual reminder of their relationship with God and to be a mark that distinguishes them from the rest of the world. And if you look throughout the Old Testament, God is constantly pointing his people to the Exodus. Remember the Exodus. Remember when you were slaves in Egypt. Remember what God has done in those miracles, in those signs. It's not that they forgot the Exodus. I mean, this is a part of their history. It was passed down from generation to generation. But every time God told their peop- his people to remember the Exodus, he is compelling them to live in relationship with God. So God's remembering is a careful consideration of his people. It is his keeping, keeping covenant with his people. It is showing his concern, a loving concern, and in a loving concern, an intimate interest in the life of his children. And so when we are commanded to remember our Creator in the days of your youth, it is a command for us to walk rightly before the Lord. Or you could say that a child who obeys their parent when their parent is not around is said to remember their parents, remember that they are in relationship with their parents, remember that they are still under the authority of their parents, and so therefore they ought to live their lives under the authority of their parents, whether their parents are there physically or they are not. So in the same way, we are commanded to remember the Lord as a way of compelling us to live rightly before God. When we walk rightly before the Lord, we are remembering that we are in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And when we look throughout the Scriptures in the Old Testament, whenever it's said that the people of God forgot the Lord, there's always sin and abominable acts and evil and wickedness. It's not that they forgot the Lord. It's not that they stopped wearing the tassels on their robes. It's not that they forgot that there's a huge, giant temple in the city of Jerusalem. No, it's that they disregarded. They turned their backs to the Lord. When you turn your back to the Lord, it is a way of forgetting the Lord. And Second Peter Peter commands the church to supplement their faith with, with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, with steadfastness, with godliness, with bodily affection, with love. And he goes on to say, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And whoever lacks these qualities of godliness, brotherly affection, love, Steadfastness, whoever lacks these qualities is not grow, and not growing in them is said to have forgotten. They've been cleansed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So then we're called to give, to remember God in the prime of our life. Consider Jesus in the prime of his life. He gave his life to God. And you might say, well, he was, of course he did. He was God. He was on a mission. Well, that is true. Remember also that he was man and he was tempted by the, live, the devil to exchange the prime of his life for the entire world. 
Consider the apostles who gave the prime of their life to preaching the gospel, to encouraging the saints, to making disciples. Consider all the saints who have come before us, who gave the prime of their life to live it to the glory of God. Consider someone such as, for example, Lady Jane Grey, who was the Queen of England, who was also known as the Nine Days Queen, because she only reigned for nine days until her sister Mary, also known as Bloody Mary, had her beheaded and deposed her. And Lady Jane Grey was a Christian, tried to reform England on Protestant Reformed doctrine. She was only about 17 when she became queen. It was only 17 when she died. She could have pursued the world. She could have done what her sister Mary had asked her to do and essentially just forsaking the Lord. And she could have lived many years, decades, perhaps living to ripe old age of 70, 80, 90 years old. Instead, she gave her life to the glory of God. And it was snuffed out as soon as she even entered the prime of her life. In the movie, perhaps you've seen it in the movie Inception, which in my opinion is a genius movie. But there's these two statements that seem to bookend the movie. That statement is, do you want to die an old man filled with regret? It's at the the beginning of the movie and it's at the very end of the movie. And I think in the same way, now that the preacher has come to the concluding chapter, after considered what life is and what life consists of and what the good life is, he's asking us also, do you want to come to the end of your life be filled with regret? And he say, don't waste your life by giving it over to hedonistic pursuits. Consider the old man I told you about earlier in the sermon was saved the gospel of Jesus Christ, who came to realize just the infinite worth of Jesus Christ. He came to realize that this Jesus is worth living for every single day of one's life. And yet I did not have the many years to give my life to Jesus Christ. For those of you who are young and the Lord has found you at a young age, I hope that you realize that you and I are immensely blessed. Because the Lord sparing us from years of hedonistic pursuits. The Lord is saving us, sparing us from years of sin and making dumb and worthless and stupid mistakes and injuring ourselves and injuring others. Not that being a Christian makes you impervious to making mistakes, but you certainly are more open to make more sinful mistakes when you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has saved you, has been immensely gracious to you to save you at the age at which he did. So then the imperative is do not give the devil the prime of your life. But give it to the Lord. Give it to Christ. 
Make it your ambition to live for Jesus Christ each and every day. Is not Christ worthy of it? Considering what Christ has saved us from, considering what Christ has done for us, is He not worth our life? Is He not worth the next 10, 20, 30 years, how many the Lord has given to us? Is He not worth it? Before the dimmer switch comes only centimeters, even less than that, before it comes to the very end, and you have nothing left to spare or give. Right now is the time to give your life to Christ. Remember the Lord. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. The question is, how do we do that? What does this look like? How do we remember our Creator in the days of our youth? I'll leave you with three concluding thoughts. One, the first one is a question. First is to ask yourself, is there any worldliness in you? Are there any attachments to the world that is there in your heart? Luke 17, verse 31, Jesus describing the very last day of time in history. On that day, let the one who was on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let not the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. What was Lot's wife's sin? When they were commanded to leave Sodom and Gomorrah as it was being destroyed, they were commanded to not look back. And she looked back. And the fact that she turned into a pillar of salt, I don't think it was because she was wanting to see the destruction herself, but it was because she was attached. And oftentimes when we turn back, knowing that we are in Christ, and we turn back to the things of the world, that we become attached to the things of the world, whether it's money, whether it's pleasure, whether it is selfish ambition, there's a way of us looking back, turning back. Essentially, Jesus is telling us that it can be very, very dangerous to turn back. So whatever attachments you might have to the world, now is the time to get rid of them. Now is the time to do something about them. Because if you keep looking back over and over again, perpetually, for a long period of time, you might make shipwreck of your faith and come to abandon the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, it's the most obvious, and that is to walk rightly before the Lord. Walk rightly before the Lord. In James chapter 1, James describes the kind of person who looks at the Word, sees what he is like, and he also talks about the person who deceives himself. He says, for he looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he was like, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Do you look at the Word? Do you study the Word? That's the first question. Do you go to the Word? Do you read the Word on a regular basis? Are you in the Word? And when you are in the Word, does it show you your sins that you need to repent of? 
and it's your tendency is to see it, and then just turn away, forget about it, not do anything about it, James would say that you are deceiving yourself, that you are not persevering, and you're not preserving your life, and you should not expect that you will be blessed in your doing. Walk rightly before the Lord. Lastly, consider your love for the Lord and the things of God. We, had our, we went on, on our vacation recently. We went to the zoo. We made our way to this large tank, and in it was a seal. And from afar, when there was a crowd of people in front of it, the seal was coming, going on the tank, going back and forth from one end to the other. It was kind of going like this, like an eight. And as we came closer, I realized that there was a person right in front of the tank, and that the seal was following the person in the tank. And it was following this person because the person had some food in their hand. And so she was going back and forth and going like this and like that, and the seal would follow every time. And then they gave it to a little child, and the child did the same thing, and the seal will do the same thing. Now, please don't misinterpret that. Don't receive that illustration wrongly. I'm not intending in any way to insult anyone's intelligence, but the way that that seal is interested in the food in that person's hand is the way that we should be interested in the things of God. God provides for his people manna in different ways for us to feed. Whether it's the manna of our Sunday morning gatherings, the manna of singing to the Lord, the manna of the preached word, the manna of the word of God, the manna of prayer, the manna of community and being in fellowship with other believers, the manna of being able to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. Those are all different ways in which God intends to feed us. And the question is, what is your interest in those things? Now, in some of those things, you might have a more an interest in others. But the question is, do you have a disinterest in the things of God? Do you see the manna of the Word of God and you're just like, I'm not interested? You see the manna of the Sunday morning gathering and you're like, I don't, I'm not interested. Do you see the manna of fellowship or engaging in a community group and you're just like, I'm not interested? You see the manna of godly conversations and your reaction is, I'm not interested. If that is the case. It's time to do something about it. It's time to work in your heart through the Holy Spirit and pray for your heart Because Jesus Christ is the great treasure of the Christian life. And if Christ, if we would say that Christ is our greatest treasure, then we will be interested in the things of Christ. We will not see them as distasteful. But we will see them as flavorful. One last thing I'll mention is... Those of you who are older in life, encourage those of us who are young to continue to give our lives to the Lord. Encourage us, help us. To continue to 
lay down our lives for Christ, to treasure Jesus Christ. If you've already raised your own children in the home, they're up and about to have their own families, they're out in their own careers, wherever they might be. Continue to encourage your children, as they know the Lord, continue to encourage your children to live for Jesus Christ. And if your children do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, just commit to praying fervently for your children so that they might not waste any more years of their life, so that they might be saved from the judgment of God, so that they might give their lives to treasuring Jesus Christ. Time moves quickly, and our lives are like the boxcars that are attached to the powering locomotive as it trails ahead, blazing forward through time. So whatever stage or season in life you find yourself in, we would all do well to maximize our joy in Jesus Christ and living rightly before him. Living for his glory. To do as Paul did in reminding the church of the gospel when he says, the gospel that has been preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast the word that was preached to you. Remember your creator, Remember the word that was preached to you. If you do that, then you'll live the good life. Let's pray. Lord, we, we are vessels for your glory. And your word teaches us that no matter what season we find ourselves in, even if we are unable to do anything at all, we will always remain a vessel for your glory. Even though at times some of us might wish we could do more, to achieve more, to accomplish more, but lack sometimes the desire, lack the strength, the energy, the vitality. I pray that you would give your people a profound contentment. And that you would help your people to believe the truth that you love them no matter what. Lord, and I pray that for those of us who still have strength, who still have energy, with the works of our hands, with the work of our minds, with the able feet that you have given us, help us to do all things for your glory, to give our lives to you, to be used by you as instruments for your great pleasure, and help us to encourage one another to that end. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving our lives meaning and purpose. We thank you for redeeming us, for saving us, for reconciling us to God. Would you help us to walk rightly before, help us to remember our Creator, to conduct ourselves in a way that always acknowledges that we have a deep and intimate and loving relationship with our good and great God. We pray 
in Jesus' name. Amen.